All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers, presented by Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out on a Tuesday. The Lakers used to be a team that would come out and play a bad game of basketball where their effort would be poor and their stars would look lethargic and they would lose. And so for them to have a similar type of game tonight and to get a win, I'm going to take as a huge positive, Raj. First of all, how you doing, buddy? How's your week going so far? It's going good. Yeah, three games in a row, three wins in a row. I think uh, for the third time this season, I think we won four in a row one time. But, man, it's good to stack a couple of these together. It looked a little shaky early in the fourth. I think we went about, we went down seven. But, yeah, man, this is a good one. This was a fun one, a lot of threes back and forth. But I'm well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, it's been a day full of basketball for me. I played a little bit this morning. I coached my high school kids. They got a win tonight as well, and then the Lakers got a win. So it's been a good nice. day of basketball, but I'm excited to break this one down with you. It was an interesting game because the Lakers clearly came out lethargic, in my opinion. Their help defense was horrible. They were missing a lot of box outs. The Kings looked more energetic. Uh, LeBron, in particular, looked a little bit apathetic. And then he drove into Alex Len and went knee to knee with him. And you could tell, like, for the next long stretch of the game that that really bothered him physically you could see him favoring it you could see him kind of continuing to miss box outs and rotations just try it seemed like he was just trying to make it to the final buzzer Lakers had a little bit of a stretch there at the start of the second quarter where they looked amazing and we'll get into the reasons why later hint hint THT and Dwight but it was nice to see that even though for the most part they looked lethargic and poor on both ends of the floor they hit the gas at the end of the game, and when they hit the gas, they were better. And that is what good teams do. And I know people want to undersell and, and try to undercut beating bad teams, but the Laker team, this Laker team has lost to bad teams a lot this season early on. And so I, I look at it more as taking care of business. The Lakers took care of business tonight in a funky game, made plays on both ends of the floor down the stretch, and they deserve the win. Yeah, man, we are in no position, I keep saying, to be picky about wins, especially where we are in the standings. Memphis just keeps winning. They don't look like they're going to slow down. They look like they they might lock up that, that fourth seed uh, pretty soon here. But yeah, man, it's a, it's a good win. It, you have to kind of stack some of these wins together, and they were able to do that tonight. I thought Sacramento hit a bunch of tough shots as well. We lost Buddy Heald a few times off screens. That's going to happen, but I thought he hit a few tough ones. Darren Fox, I think they said, I don't know if they have, if this number is correct. If I heard it right, he's doing 24% from three. I'm not sure if that, if I heard that correctly. Somewhere he in the 20s. A, yeah, yeah, and he hit a bunch of them tonight. He had a bunch of step back threes. I thought the Tyrese Halliburton one over Mello was a tough one. We had a four point. We missed a lot of layups where like it could have changed the tide of the game, right? Like we're on a big run. We're up like six and we get like a turnover. I think Russ had a block. And uh, he went the other way and missed the missed the layup. Russ, no turnovers tonight. I believe he finished with no turnovers, right? And again, we you texted me like he had some bad shots, and that's that's true. There were a bunch of bad shots that you can kind of convert over to turnovers, but it's nice to see him have just a good no turnover floor game, even if the shot selection a few times wasn't great. But yeah, I man, it was a it was a win that's nice to stack them together, and hopefully we can win the next one as well to to make it four. But yeah, we're in no position to be picky. Uh, this team is still trying to figure each other out. We lost a starter tonight due to contractual reasons that hopefully we'll get back. <laughs> we will um, we'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back on Friday. Um, so it was nice to kind of get got this one out. I thought, you know, I thought Frank pushed a lot of the correct buttons tonight. Like every lineup decision, I thought 
was correct. I thought he made, you know, a bunch of good tactical decisions. He wasn't rigid with his lineups like he was in the last game. I thought, you know, mirroring Dwight's minutes, and we'll get to Dwight obviously later, mirroring his minutes with Alex Land, I thought that really changed kind of the course of the game as well. But yeah, this was a good one. It was a good good game to get a win win on. Yeah, so let's let's start with Dwight because we mm-hmm. had an interesting discussion after the last game going over this idea that Frank refused to fold under pressure to go bigger. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and I talked about how I personally disagreed with that, right? And I had mentioned that Dwight is a quality NBA player. He is, he is a good backup center in this league. And so I disagreed with the philosophy of leaving him on the bench for the sake of your five-out identity when talent has been somewhat of an issue so far this season. However... In, in the last pod, I, I explained that I understood Frank's rationale in that it seemed like his, his, the goal was to train yourself to stay small and have that be the permanent identity. And so that's why I was genuinely confused when they went to Dwight tonight, because the same rationale for going to Dwight tonight was the rationale they needed last game. And for whatever reason, he couldn't get there last game mentally as the coach but tonight he could. And, you know, I tend to think the reason why I was, there's two parts to it. Yes. It's Dwight being a good NBA player, but it's also versatility, Raj. Like I like the ability to be able to play multiple styles of basketball and leaning 1000% into playing five out ball is just as detrimental in my opinion to leaning 1000% to playing two big ball the way they did last year which I thought was a departure from the previous season and and, and was a a problem for many reasons. Because then when they went to AD at the five in the very rare stretches where they did, it felt unusual. And there were some struggles, namely game one against Phoenix, where things didn't go super well. Point being, you know, having versatility, being able to play multiple styles of basketball is is one one of the hallmarks of a championship team. And Dwight is a good basketball player that can make plays on the offensive glass. He can make plays defensively in pick and roll coverage. He can uh, finish lobs and drop off passes from guys who can make plays off the pass. Even guys who aren't great at making plays off the pass, like Malik Monk, for instance, who hit Dwight for a couple of dunks tonight. Point being, Dwight's a good player. It made sense to play him, even if it goes against the style of play that you have in your other lineups. Because you need that versatility, you need to have the ability to call an audible in a playoff series, and Dwight's a really good audible. And so I thought that was impressive, and I heard a lot of people bringing up like, okay, Dwight looked springy because he uh, had some time off, and I'm not debating that. Like, I definitely don't think Dwight should be a big minutes guy. However, a lot of the bad games Dwight had recently were more related, in my opinion, to the COVID suspension. And him losing his conditioning. So I I tend to think as long as Dwight is in a small role, maybe a two shift player or one shift player, then he can play every night for us if we need him to. I don't think he's physically incapable of doing that. Right. And, you know, I thought even I just like I use the word rigid a lot with it because I just don't think we're in position like if we had a nice lead or we were up in the standings or even if AD was healthy. And, yeah, you can go to this full no center, as they call it. Right. Because Vogel uses the word no center when he includes Anthony Davis in that as well. You could do that. You can experiment. But I think we are in still win collection mode here and we can't give up nights and we can't have what Nas redid the other night. And I thought this game was kind of tilting towards that because the 
whole point of going small, right, is to get an offensive advantage. Like, that's what we are doing when we go small. And I thought tonight we were getting killed on the boards while also not getting the offensive punch. I think we had Russ and Talon in. I don't remember if LeBron was also on the floor when Dwight Howard checked in. He might or might have not. But I thought that kind of changed the flow of the game. Sacramento went up 9-2, to I believe, and then we caught them at 14. But then Alex Len came in, and I thought he again – took control of the game for Sacramento. He was getting offensive rebounds. You talked about our help defense early. It was really bad. I thought LeBron uh, wasn't wasn't there on the help uh, early. I'm not sure if that's just him kind of load managing through or just didn't want to, whatever it was, or the physical battles down low that you don't want him doing all game. I thought all of that was part of it. And I love just putting Dwight in there to kind of nullify the Alex Lynn matchup. And I thought that changed the whole flow of the game. He came in like the middle of the first and uh, we kind of took back. I think we were up 32-27 or something after the first quarter. But yeah, Dwight can play here and there. I'm fine. He doesn't have to play every night. I would like him to be like 10 to 15 minutes. I don't think you're going to get 14 and 14 as he put up tonight in 22 minutes every single time that you play him. But it's just a nice switch up like you talked about, the versatility. And I don't think we're in the mode to be able to give games away. And I felt like that was it was kind of going there uh, with the uh, with Alex Lynn starting to dominate in a similar fashion than Nas Reed did. But Dwight still, you, you talked about a good NBA player. Uh, he's not DeAndre Jordan. You don't need to cut him out the rotation. He can still move his feet. He can still jump to block shots. Uh, he knows how to roll correctly. I thought him and Malik Monk had a good chemistry early in the year. I thought you saw that again tonight. Their screen roll game was nice. Um, Malik threw him some lobs. He's just a a solid NBA player that we can he can be our backup center. But I thought, again, Frank, I thought he just pushed the right buttons. He, uh, Alex Len came in, I believe, in the fourth, and he put Dwight Howard in as well. Like, he mirrored their minutes really nicely, and I think that's what you have to do right now. But, yeah, Dwight was really good tonight, man. I thought he kind of saved our first quarter, and that kind of energized us through the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. I wanted to move on to Russ for a second because I've been pretty hard on Russ recently. And I, I think I've done a good job, I hope, if I'm wrong, you guys can let me know, but I think I've gonna, done a good job of explaining exactly what worries me about Russ. It's not so much the day-to-day stuff, because he's been good for some stretches of the season, and he's been bad for some stretches of the season. He was bad to start, then he had a stretch there for about a month or so where he actually was really good, and only some uninformed people outside of the Laker fan base were particularly negative towards Russ. And then he kind of went back into a slump here recently where he hasn't been shooting the ball well. He's making more defensive mistakes. He's been missing everything around the rim. Um, and so that, that to me is separate from my concerns with Russ, which have always been late game decision-making, particularly in a playoff setting. You know what I mean? That's what I've, I've said. But I want to be clear. Like, I, I do think Russ does a ton to help this team. He, he's the definition of a good play, bad play type of guy. And there are a lot of nights – especially during the regular season where he brings a lot of good and very little bad. And today was one of those games. He had some pull-up mid-range shots uh, that I thought were ill-advised early in the game. But other sure. than that, other than that, he did a really good job. Um, he, he, I thought he carried the team in the third quarter uh, when LeBron was in that funk um, that we described earlier. And that was an example of a basketball game where if Russ isn't there, you probably lose. You know what I mean? Because that's what you need for various stretches of the game. You need somebody that can carry you when things aren't working. And Malik Monk, if you remember, was hot to start the game, but then kind of went cold there for the second and third quarter. So you had LeBron and Monk, the two guys who brought the game home. Those two guys were mostly cold and off during the middle portion of the game and Russ carried them. And so that's an example of some of the good that, that Russ brings to the table. But 
above that, I wanted to, cause you actually brought this up, Raj. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was interesting late game how they basically started spamming the LeBron Monk pick and pop there on the right wing, which I, I think is a good play, but it was interesting how Russ basically got relegated to being in the dunker spot. Now there was a play where he did get an offensive rebound uh, at, at one point, but that kind of thing does concern me potentially in the long run. And you may feel differently about it, but you know, for a player of Russ's caliber in terms of reputation, to basically be relegated to being Ben Simmons at the end of a basketball game. There's a huge diminishing return there offensively. Um, and that scares me for a playoff series because then you start to look at the situation and go, okay, would we be better off with another guy there who can shoot so that maybe LeBron and Monk are running that with a true five out, or maybe Anthony Davis is in that dunker spot instead. You know what I mean? Like, that that's kind of the it was an interesting end of the game there because again if if Russ can't have the ball in his hands what is he really doing aside from grabbing the occasional offensive rebound but i wanted to hear i wanted to hear your opinion yeah. on that sequence yeah cuz i know cuz you and not it's not just you it's a lot of people who have you know expressed concern for the late game offense with Russ right his decision making throughout the game kind of lends to your thoughts on him in high leverage situations and i've always thought that he's like you said, uh, what are you going to do? What's the point of having Russ on the floor if he can't have the ball in his hands? But you don't want the ball in his hands, right? You want the ball in mm-hmm. LeBron James' hands in those situations. And I've always said uh, to kind of have Russ in those situations, it's not to like control him or try to bring him down. It's just to lower the usage. And I thought this is what it's going to look like in the playoffs. We saw this when they played Cleveland earlier, and it was a close game. Anthony Davis was also on the floor. He was the, kind of the screener. This is kind of how I see Russ in those kind of moments, in the dunker spot. And to me, it's not – relegating relegating him there in a bad way because it kind of puts what he's good at into the forefront right he is a good offensive rebounder and you talked about him getting one tonight and putting him there kind of puts those in it puts him in those situations he also got a i think he also got a basket off a cut he's a good cutter in those spots and he doesn't always have to be in the dunker spot as well he can be a little bit more on the weak side where it's not all the way to the three-point line it's right it's right about halfway and that's usually where players cut from the baseline on and we saw that again tonight and it was LeBron and Monk two-man game screen roll late, right? And that's, to me, what our late-game offense is going to be. Even when we had Anthony Davis on the floor in the playoffs, our late-game offense was a guard screen action. It was KCP, and Monk is a lot more versatile than KCP. Mm. He's a better shooter, better off-ball handler. It reminded me a little bit, and I hope this isn't, like, terrible, but it reminded me a little bit of, like, Kyrie Irving. And, of course, Monk's not the talent of Kyrie Irving. I just mean the archetype of a three-level score, right, where you have to guard Monk off the dribble. You have to guard him as a spot-up guy, and he can float, and he has a floater game. Like, he has the whole offensive package, and it's not always on every night. But I just think that's what we're going to see, and that's why I'm not too worried about Russ in those kind of situations. If AD is on the floor, to me, he's probably the screener, or he's in the dunker spot, and maybe Russ is the screener. And there's things that you can do. I just don't think Russ would have the ball in his hands in those situations. So I, I was going to ask you that. Does that seeing that like late game offense? I guess does that kind of temper your uh, your worries a little bit? Because it did, at least for me. This, I've seen this a couple times now. Uh, late game offense, but Russ just does not have the ball at the top of the key in late game situations. Like that's just not what we run it's lebron james with the ball screen action whatever whoever he wants to come set the screen whether it's wayne ellington to beat dallas right 
to be Dallas. We went Wayne mm-hmm. Ellington straight screen and roll. Tonight it was uh, Malik Monk. Against the Cavs, it was uh, Anthony Davis to get Evan Mobley on him. Like, it's going to be whoever he wants to mismatch Hunt, and it's not going to be Russ with the basketball, which is why I'm not as worried. And I think putting him in the dunker spot, again, stretch weak side, not all the way to the corner, but on the baseline where he can cut through. I just That's how I see us playing late game offense. So I see that side of it. I do. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I want to be clear. Like I, I, I do, I, I tr- like I said, from the beginning with this Russ thing, I go out of my way to try to see the positive. I really do. <laughs> uh, where, where I concern myself primarily has to do with a situation where that's not Damian Jones and Buddy Heald guarding the Malik Monk LeBron action. Sure. So, so let's say we're playing Phoenix or playing Golden State. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's Phoenix, in all likelihood, if that's Malik Monk, it's Devin Booker guarding him, right? And mm-hmm. uh, probably Mikhail Bridges on LeBron. That's just, they're they're going to switch that every time. And yes, Devin Booker is is someone LeBron can attack. But the point is, is that's going to be LeBron having to beat Devin Booker off the dribble, and it's going to be. DeAndre Ayton and, you know, probably Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder on the, on the weak side in, in CP3. It's just the, all those windows get way tighter against a really, really good defense. And the same goes with Golden State. That's probably going to be someone like Andrew Wiggins on LeBron and someone like Clay Thompson on Malik Monk. And they're just going to switch that action and force LeBron to either post up or drive to the basket. And again, like having a guy like Russ in the dunker spot doesn't show some of the downsides of that diminishing return I'm speaking of uh, against a bad team, but it will against the top tier teams, especially on the defensive end of the floor. So that's kind of like what I visualize there. Like, okay, would we be better off, you know, not having to occupy that spot to give LeBron a better chance to come to consistently beat someone like Clay Thompson off the dribble or Devin Booker off the dribble in a playoff series with enough of an advantage to where he can finish over the inevitable rotating defender. That's going to be someone like Draymond Green or DeAndre Ayton. Like it's just everything I look at it is through with Russ is through the lens of what it's going to look like on the biggest stage. And that stuff, that stuff does worry me a little bit. I'm not saying it's not going to work because it might, but that's where it gets concerning. That's why I prefer the idea as great as the Monk LeBron screening actions are. I prefer the idea of getting Russ involved in the action. Because right. in all mm-hmm. in all likelihood there, you're more likely to have them double LeBron than to switch because they probably would prefer to not have LeBron, um, you know, go against your point guard, which in this case would be Steph or CP3. And then also Russ is so quick off the dribble, you know, and, and more athletic, better athlete than Monk, that he has a better chance of punishing a bigger defender off the dribble. So that probably ends up being some sort of trap, which uh, puts uh, Russ in a situation where he can attack four on three. And I almost like our chances better there. So accepting the reality that Russ is going to be in this picture, I tend to like him more as a screener screener than in the dunker spot, because I think the dunker spot thing works better against bad teams than it would against good teams. But that's just me kind of like in the moment trying to, visualize what it might look like against the very best teams if that makes sense yeah for sure and it doesn't have to be like he doesn't always have to be there and it doesn't have to be malik monk as well and if it's against phoenix they probably want to involve aiden in the matchup right i think lebron actually kind of likes the aiden matchup able to attack him it's how they're defending if phoenix if a team is switching everything then lebron can kind of mismatch miss 
uh, mismatch hunt that way. And yeah, like I think Russ can be the screener in a lot of these situations as well. I think he's still a good four on three attacker if LeBron is getting trapped. There's just other places on the floor you can put him. He's just not going to be the spacer or the guy doing the main attack really. And that's your worry, right? You don't want him as the main isolation attack. He's it's not going to like I think a lot of people before the season th- started thought it would be kind of turn based, right? Where LeBron and Russ kind of take turns running ball screen actions. That's just not how it's been this season, and nor do I think how it's going to be in the playoffs. It's going to be LeBron James controlling, and Anthony Davis is another guy who's going to be thrown into this picture, who's going to be involved in almost all these actions as well, right? I mean, you can have AD space as well to corners, but there's just stuff you can do. Why I'm not too worried about it. And you're right, Russ has a screener. I think works really well as well. Most most teams like to put a big onto Russ because he's not a spacer and if you can involve another big there teams don't usually want to switch their center onto LeBron and you have a two a four on three in that way and again that's how we got the Austin Reeves game where kind of it was Ellington screen roll Russ was able to attack a compromised defense and found Austin Reeves for the game winner so I'm not worried about that I just think like our worries about Russ having to make the high leverage kind of decision making late it's just it's just not what we have to worry about in my opinion like it's going to be LeBron James uh playing his style of basketball which is guard screens or uh, in the post if he wants or you know screen with ad or whatever and there's places on the floor we can put russ and that's what the rest of this season is there for to kind of find situations to put him and i think the dunker spot is just one kind of uh one kind of variety of, of different places we can place him on the floor yeah and again like th- this is where i've had issues with this fit is even though my basketball brain tells me that your best chance to develop driving lanes is to use russ as the screener that then puts him back in a position where he's making decisions, which is exactly what I don't want him doing at the end of the game. So it's just tough. It's just tough. Like, and again, this is why it's so important that I have people like you that are more optimistic about it. And then there are a bunch of people in Lakers Twitter that I follow who are more optimistic about this fit because they help me see the other side. I'm just presenting to you guys my, my view on this. My view on this is I just see this inevitably coming to a head where in a playoff series against an elite defense, late game situations, Russ is going to become a liability, um, either as a decision maker or off the ball. That's that, that to me continues to be a concern. And I haven't seen anything this season that has dissuaded me from that other than success against some limited teams. And, uh, you know, uh, a couple of, a couple of late game situations where it happened to work out well, but there've been also been late late game situations where it hasn't. So it's just been tough. But anyway, we've talked a lot of Russ recently, so we can move on. But the, uh, uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, I suppose, cause Taylor, Taylor deserves some attention, but I think we got to go to Malik Monk first here because he's just been so incredible. But, incredible. Uh, yeah. There's been a lot of people talking about, um, the term conundrum here, which is that. Malik Monk has uh, vastly outperformed his contract, but we can get to that in a minute. Um, Basically, what I had pointed out in the last pod was that sometime in recent weeks, Malik Monk seems to have either been given a green light or he just snatched the green light. Because for whatever reason, in recent weeks, he has been gunning. And it's been very good for our offense because we don't really have – Anybody, because as good as Mello is, he's more of a, like we talked about, he's more like a, if you give him an advantage, he can score. So if you get him a really good matchup in the post, or if you get him with a defender closing out at him, he can score. But Malik Monk is basically our only non-LeBron player who, from all three levels, is lethal 
Um, uh, even if he doesn't necessarily have an advantage, he can beat you with three point shot. He's got an arsenal of shots. He can go to in the mid range in short range. He's got floaters and scoops, and then he's a vertical athlete above the rim. And so combining that with his youthful exuberance and his like outrageous confidence in a green light, he's really taking off for us. And it's giving our offense a new dynamic that we haven't had all season. And then again, in this five out attack, it's just built for him. But I mean, more of the same that we were talking about in the last pod, but he's just, he's just something else, man. Like that, like he got absolutely scorching hot in that fourth quarter to save us tonight. Yeah. I love the word that I used uh, youthful and uh, was it, what'd you say? Youthful and exuberance. Exuberance. Yes, yes, yes. It's funny because this team was, you know, and they're still old, you know, because their best player obviously is is 37, uh, just turned 37, but and Russell Westbrook's 34. But it's funny kind of looking at the rotation now, how many kind of youthful guys there are, right? You have, uh, you obviously have Malik Monk. I think he's 23 or 24. I, I don't remember. Um, Austin Reeves is around 23. Stanley Johnson is uh, is 25 THT obviously in the rotation at 22 so you do have a mix a nice mix of young guys I guess and that kind of pops off the screen as well to me you kind of see them move at a little bit of a different pace I think Ariza is still moving uh, at his age which uh, you know makes sense he just kind of came back Carmelo Anthony obviously is who he is but yeah man Malik's been awesome he is fearless to me like that's kind of the word I use for him he's just not scared of the moment he'll take any shot he doesn't have to be wide open to shoot which I think is a big thing for this team and it was, was kind of the trouble for a lot of our shooters in the past. Um, a lot of them had to be wide open to kind of shoot and Malik Monk, he's able to get in a shot quickly. Again, that's kind of why I think the LeBron Malik Monk game works so well. Uh, even you add his ball handling, but able to pop from three really quickly. When we were down like four, I think uh, he had two threes that were kind of tying along with Buddy Heald who continued to come back and, and drain threes on us. But yeah, man, he's been awesome. I think he has better, passing ability than you know i thought over the summer and he's kind of shown an ability to run screen actions to make reads off of it he's a nice lob passer we saw it some to dwight like i talked about earlier i just think you know he's a really nice player and i think him and we got some news that kendrick nunn is close I'm not sure exactly what that means but uh hopefully he'll come back pretty soon i think you know nunn and monk is a really interesting combo we have a bunch of guards now playing avery bradley obviously starts tht again comes off the bench now it's going to be interesting how the rotation looks, but I don't think Malik Monk is going anywhere. I'm also not sure he starts when everyone's healthy as well, uh, but he's been awesome, man. Him and LeBron obviously have something there. There's there's something uh, tangible there with their connection, and it's not just tonight. It's just it's not just these last few games. It's been since the beginning of the season to me, and LeBron plays well with you know scoring guards, and uh, I think Malik Monk fits right into that. Especially scoring guards that can shoot the shit out of the basketball, which <laughs> right. which which moves us to the the, the contract conundrum because it's 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 you know I've been an advocate all season for moving from THT to try to get uh, a good fifth starter like a guy like sure. Jeremy Grant, which we talked about, and obviously that type of deal would require you to include Kendrick Nunn, and you know this brings up an interesting conversation about asset management because. The reality of the situation is, is Malik Monk is not a minimum contract player. He's probably not a, he's definitely not like a $20 million a year guy, but he's not a minimum contract player. So the reality is, is after this season, someone's going to offer him either a mid-level exception or something even more if they're a team that's operating like they have cap space. So, you know, the interesting rules about the way the CBA works and Raj, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as long as Kendrick Nunn is on the roster, which could be this year and next year, depending on whether or not he uses his player option, he 
<clears throat> technically occupies the mid-level exception spot, which means the the Lakers would not be able to offer uh, Kendrick or excuse me Malik Monk anything other than a very slight raise over the minimum contract. So <clears throat> that's another positive angle to look at when you talk about potentially moving THT and Kendrick Nunn, because if you move THT and Kendrick Nunn in a trade for a player like Jeremy Grant, you open up an exception slot to use to retain a player like Malik Monk. So you got to now look at that potential trade as a, it's not just trading Kendrick Nunn and THT for a wing. It's trading Kendrick Nunn and THT for a wing and possibly keeping Malik Monk uh, when you probably wouldn't be able to keep him otherwise. So that's another Malik Monk's recent play is now adding another interesting wrinkle to the decision-making process this coming off season. It, you know, like I understand us kind of discussing this and I see, you know, not just you and everyone on the timeline talking about, oh man, I hope we can keep Malik Monk next year. I can't even like get entertained with that. You know what I mean? Like I can't even like get into emotionally there. I'm so much into this season, but I understand it. Malik Monk's played really well. Jason, this roster has turned over like three times. I feel like, you know, emotionally attaching ourselves to a guy who's not named LeBron James or Anthony Davis to me is kind of, <laughs> kind of like fool's gold, just with You're how the <laughs> just with how the roster has turned over, how the you know GM has operated the last few years. Like if this team doesn't win a title, even if, even when winning a title, they still flipped a lot of the roster. Like so, that's kind of where I can't really get too invested in that. I think the you know trading Kendrick Nunn thing is an interesting conversation. I think they do want to see him play first before moving on from him. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, and like yourself, want to move him for move Talon as well uh, in combination with none. I think that's interesting, but Malik's playing so well, man. I can't even really move on to next year. I hope they can keep him. I don't think he's going to make the minimum next season. Like you talked about, he has definitely outplayed his contract and that's what you need to do when you have a team full of minimum guys, you need a few of them to outplay their contract. I think Carmelo has outplayed his contract. Yep. I think, you know, I think Malik Monk has definitely outplayed his contract. Um, and you need that when you have a team full of guys um, making when you only have minimums to to give out. And our other guy who makes who makes like who makes money that's not the minimum has not played a single second this year in Kendrick Nunn. So it'll be interesting. But yeah, man, Malik's been Malik's been awesome. I hope he stays. But I can't even get entertained honestly with that conversation. You were asking me about the CBA. I am probably one of the last people to ask about that uh, <laughs> as as well. I'm so just into this season. People are like, oh, can we keep Malik Monk? I have no idea. Other people do a great job with that. Eric Pink is one of the best. Um, definitely not our wheelhouse <laughs> definitely not no for sure i don't pretend, pretend to be a part of that wheelhouse either but yeah i hope malik monk is back i just you know like i said getting emotionally attached to a player not named lebron or anthony davis like, seems kind of uh foolish to me with how the roster has turned over the last few years yeah it, it, it's it's funny because i'm actually very thankful that there are people in our business who take oh, the absolutely. time to learn that stuff because like you know, I, I live and breathe the game of basketball every day of my life as a player, as a coach, and as a guy who covers the Lakers, and just as a fan. And I may or may not be able to offer something of value in that department. But when it comes to something that literally lawyers drafted, yeah, that's 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 entirely <laughs> above my pay grade. Um, so let's let's hit THT really quick, and then I want to rant about Stanley Johnson for a second, and then we'll call it a night. So, sure. so t- I've been heavy behind THT this year, which is weird. You and I have kind of flip-flopped because last year I was the one that was down on him and now I'm the one that's high on him. But like the, I I pointed out all season that, you know, he's been in an unfortunate circumstance surrounding his role, you know, go through training camp and then break your thumb. 
then you come back and play and it's roster volatility between, you know, wings and guards dropping with injury to LeBron and Anthony Davis missing time, him going in and out of the starting lineup. And then bam, he gets COVID. And so he's just been in a really inconsistent role. And I predicted that he would play better as he got just more consistency in the lineup. And it seems now that he's going to consistently be coming off the bench. And also they're the Lakers are leaning into a style and sticking with it, a style that is more conducive to THT's skill set. And, you know, obviously it's just one game, but I think he's been trending in this direction over the last few games, starting to show some signs of confidence on the offensive end and starting to make some plays on defense. And tonight I thought he played one of his best games as a pro Um, because even though he had a couple of 20 point games early in this season, they were in losses, if I remember correctly, um, and kind of, I won't say garbage time because they weren't garbage time, but they, they weren't as impactful a statistical performances as his was tonight. The shots he made were all huge and important to the game. That little one-legged fadeaway he made tonight in the lane was monumental. The superstar uh, with, play that you talk yeah, about. Super, mm-hmm. Yep, and he had a handful of those plays today, Raj. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that weird scoop shot he had in the first half going around Damian Jones, like literally like like caught on his pivot foot underneath the basket with a massive human towering over him. And he just kind of like chicken winged him and stuck his arm out and and made that little scoop shot. But uh, tonight he was all over the place defensively as well, blowing stuff up and causing problems. I thought he did a pretty good job chasing. Uh, Buddy Heald around when he had to, and I know Buddy mm-hmm. Heald shot amazing. Buddy Heald, his game was more of like a, I made a couple easy ones early, and then I got crazy hot and started making the tough ones, which is something we talk about a lot. But point being, THT, he's not going to be like this every night because he's a young player, and consistency is the number one thing that young players struggle with because they're bad at replicating what they're good at and minimizing what they're bad at. So you're going to see some more bad THT in the near future, I'm sure, but – This is a lot of what you saw tonight translates. This wasn't just, oh, he made shots tonight. No, that's not what this was. Stuff that he did is stuff that's easy to replicate. His ability to finish around the basket when he's given space to operate, when he's confident and using his strength to his advantage, that will work as long as he's in the league. A lot of those little floaters and scoops and stuff around the basket, those are pretty high percentage shots for a guy like THT. This isn't a guy that's going out there taking a ton of jump shots. That's not, that's not his game. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he only made one three tonight. So it's not like he was out there bombing away from three. And then obviously everything he does defensively, that absolutely translates forward. So this is why I've been so optimistic about THT. This stuff that you saw tonight, that's replicable. That can be done over and over again soon. And so that's why I've, I've been such a believer in what he does. And here's the thing. It's really this simple. If sometime before January 15th, if he can consistently do this, meaning if he can, I won't even say January 15th, I'll just say the trade deadline because the Lakers can obviously kick the can down the road if they're not ready to make that decision. Mm -hmm. But if he can get to a point where two out of three nights, he's pretty impactful on both ends of the floor. I don't want Jeremy Grant. I want THT because because this is an impactful basketball player who projects to get better and better each year. But if it's clear that he's still a couple years away from getting to the point where he can consistently have this type of two-way impact, then you have to make the move. Which, for the record, Raj, is exactly what I said a couple months ago. 
Mm-hmm. Um, things just got complicated by the AD injury. And now, like we talked about, adding the Malik Monk thing in there. But, you know, Teach, he's a really good basketball player. And so that's going to be an interesting decision the Lakers are going to have to make. Now, my prediction is that tonight is somewhat of an outlier, that he will have more limited games than games like this, and the Lakers will end up moving him. But I'm, I'm glad THC had a game like tonight where he put together a lot of those things that he does well into one night so people can kind of see why I've been so optimistic about him. Yeah, and to your point really quickly, um, Malik Monk, uh, not, not Malik Monk, I think uh, Frank Vogel said that he felt like both Dwight and Talon uh, looked like they broke out after struggling physically from COVID. So that could, you know, be a part of it as well. I thought, you know, Talon, this is the third straight game where he came off the bench, and I think that really helped him. I always said that him playing with both Russ and LeBron was a little bit of a struggle. You pair that with how many minutes he played next to DeAndre Jordan as well. Like, he was just never in lineups that kind of were conductive to him. But even with all that said, he needs a guy to have somewhat of a jumper to me. Like, he doesn't have to have a good jump shot. It can be below average, but it has to be something the teams at least respect. And I thought, you know, tonight... He hit a few. He hit his. Uh, he hit like a mid-range pull-up or something like that, and that. And he had a few layups at the rim. He was able to attack Alex Lynn off the dribble. I thought playing him with Dwight was a nice thing. I don't know if you noticed that as well. I thought giving him a big screener was just nice, and the, the Kings kind of run a drop-back coverage because Alex Lynn obviously gets him really an advantage. He's good it, yeah. attacking when he has an advantage. Yeah, exactly. And we got him, you know, getting downhill, and he missed a layup, a couple of layups, but he got to the rim. He got, he got to be, he was able to be physical at the basket, and that's just stuff he can do. You saw his footwork kind of come into play as well. And defensively, man, he was, I thought he was really good. I thought his help defense was nice. Uh, his wingspan came into play um, on the pick and roll defense where uh, he knocked away a bunch of balls where he was the help guy, helping the helper uh, on the roll, man. He was good tonight. And again, you're not going to see the point point level that it was tonight. You don't have to see that. You just need a little bit more finishing at the rim. I still want him to shoot his open threes. I think he's a better shooter, way better shooter than he showed. I don't think he's like the worst shooter in the league, which is the percentages that he's kind of throwing up right now. He's been in his head and maybe the physical stuff is what it is. The trade stuff, like, again, I'm a guy who doesn't really like to get into that. That's going to be an interesting topic for the next few weeks. Um, we'll see if that uh, that manifests into anything, but yeah, man, I think THC is important for this team. He's the sec, he's the second only non-minimum player. Uh, the other guy, obviously, Kendrick Nunn hasn't played, and THC is the guy they've invested in, put a lot of money into him as well. Uh, we'll see if that kind of bears out, and he plays a lot, and he plays better. But I thought him coming off the bench is huge, man. I think that just gives him a little bit more freedom to kind of run actions. They let him ISO as well. We run on, we run him off little pin downs to kind of get him, get him going downhill. Um, just him catching, be able to go to the basket. I still wish he uses his left hand a little bit more. He still does a lot of flip shots that kind of miss off. But he's a confident kid, man. I think he'll he'll figure it out. And this is kind of the blueprint. For him and obviously that turnaround jumper he had again tonight that's kind of his go-to shot it's been airballing a lot recently but that was a shot he was making i think last year and we'll see if that continues but it was a good game i don't expect this every night like you talked about but it's kind of the blueprint for him attack the basket you know when, when he gets his minutes i like his minutes not next to both russ and lebron i think you're seeing the kind of fruit of that yeah that's exactly what i was just going to say is getting him where lebron or russ are off the floor so that he can kind of actually feel free being aggressive because that that's that's really the hard part of it right is like how do you feel confident as a young offensive basketball player when that's lebron and russ standing off the ball like that's tough you know but if if one of them's off and then the other guy, LeBron is kind of like desperate for somebody other than him to make a play, then there you go. There's your opportunity. 
but I wanted to <clears throat> quickly before we call it a night here, I wanted to talk about Stanley Johnson for a second because this has been somewhat of a, uh, a, a, a kind of a confusing situation for me. So for starters up front, I understand the financial predicament that the Lakers are in. I understand that Jeannie Buss doesn't have a ton of money. I understand the fact that saving a few hundred thousand dollars here or there because of the compounding effects of the luxury tax are pretty significant. But I also understand that the Lakers have had a huge problem with continuity this season. I understand that the Lakers have struggled all season with having somebody on the wing who does the dirty work, who has some good size and athleticism. Those two things to me are very, very much relevant here. Even as we consider the financial ramifications of potentially signing another basketball player on this team. And what bothers me is given that lack of continuity, the fact that we were willing to let a player miss a practice, miss a game, even though he's been what Raj, our fourth or fifth best player over the course of the last 10 days. He was starting. He was was starting. starting. He was starting a starter for us who was our fourth or fifth best player legitimately gave us a chance to win on Christmas day when I didn't think we did have a chance. This is a good basketball player that fills a very specific need for the Lakers. And the Lakers are playing a weird financial game with him right now. And quite frankly, this is where the basketball gods get involved here because Again, this might all be written in there where they're like, hey, we're going to wake up tomorrow. It's January 5th. We're going to sign Stanley. But I think this is just bad process. And if I was Stanley Johnson, I would feel insulted because given everything that he's brought to the table over the last 10 days to do something like this, to just try to pinch pennies, like if they sign him to another 10 day contract, uh, that, that to me is insulting to Stanley. Do you have use for Stanley? Yes, absolutely. He's been your fourth or fifth best player over the course of the last 10 days. Is Stanley an asset? No, not necessarily, but on a minimum contract, he's shown enough over the last 10 days that if he did get thrown into a trade, there's going to be someone out there who would want him. I guarantee you he's proved over the last 10 days that he's an NBA player. Okay. Like not a guy who should be on, on his couch or playing in the G league. So I just don't see the, I don't understand the rationale of pinching pennies to this extent. Like even with Alex Caruso, it made more sense to me, which I hated the Alex Caruso decision, but at least you could tell me like, Hey, we're talking about $30 million here, right? Like that was an entirely different type of math equation. We're talking, we're talking about a very small amount of money relatively right now that we are pinching and missing a player for an, for, for a game, especially a game like tonight where energy was an issue. Stanley would have been a big help tonight. And, and I just I just don't understand it. And it, to me, it, it's it's a difficult process as a fan of the team to try to justify. Yeah, no, that's the human human element of it. And obviously, for Stanley Johnson, you would like the full roster. But, you know, I always go to other guys for this. And Eric Pincus, obviously, who does a great job with the cap stuff. And, and we're lucky to kind of have him be one of the Lakers, you know, be do so much for the Lakers uh, in terms of letting us understand this stuff. He says it's more for flexibility kind of concerns instead of tax it's not really a tax thing it's that you know if they want to have a trade maybe a, a trade maybe won't go down by tomorrow but just to have the roster fo- roster spot me and you both thought that trading rondo was the roster spot to get stanley johnson on the team uh that's obviously wasn't correct um they just opened up a roster spot and they can sign stanley johnson again tomorrow to another 10 day which is looks which looks like is what's going to happen 
Um, hopefully, Stanley Johnson, I don't know. I don't think he'll get signed to a team before then. And I think David McMenamin also said that they have mutual interest to come back. So this is probably all going to work out. But you're right. You know, this isn't a great process. You'd like, you know, a guy who's kind of started uh, for his tenure here. I think he started more games than he's come off the bench, if I have that correct. Um, he's, I believe so. Uh, you would like a guy like that to, you know, have earned a roster spot, but that's just not how it works. Uh, they obviously want the flexibility to be able to keep a roster spot open. And I'm, I think that's more what it is as well. I don't think it's saving money as much, which obviously they will. They also, they also save money, I believe, in the Rondo trade as well. But again, that's neither here nor there. I think this is more to keep flexibility as well, like Eric Eric Pink has talked about. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but hopefully he's back. He's definitely earned a spot. He's been great. He's been uh, a power forward, a power wing that this team has desperately needed. You've talked about his bad process. Probably, you know, to just let him sit out there, miss practice, miss a game. You know, you start three games, then you just miss <laughs> You just miss to, to be re-signed to another 10-day. It's not great. You would like him to have earned that spot, but it just looks like what it's going to be. Hopefully after the second 10-day, they do eventually sign him. Uh, hopefully they maybe they cut someone else. We'll we'll see what happens. But I think that's more what it is as well. At least that's what Eric Linkus believes it to be. But you're right. This isn't great process. You want a guy who's who's played well to earn a spot on the team for sure. So Raj, you're my guy, and I appreciate your perspective. But I'm going to call BS on you. Well, not on you, but on I mean, not even on Eric Linkus, but just on the idea that the Lakers are valuing the roster spot because. They could create a roster spot. Sure. The, 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 Rock, the, the, the Lakers could create a roster spot anytime they want. The, uh, the DeAndre Jordan contract, because it was fully guaranteed, that money is lost. It's gone. It's into the ether of, of, of whatever NBA salary cap land is. Uh, if you have no intention of playing DeAndre Jordan again this season, which appears to be the case, cut his ass. Cut him. Get him out of there. And if you do, bam, open roster spot. That uh, okay, I, I understand that you don't like the idea potentially of having a player that you invested in on the streets, but it's clear that he has he barely made sense when we were trying to play big. He certainly doesn't make sense with our current style of play. So I think, and just in general, man, like with this kind of stuff, you can you can find somebody out there to help you facilitate just about anything. I mean, look at the was it at the Wizards who helped us facilitate getting that third max slot when we were going after Kawhi. It's like, you yeah, know, when, when everybody in the league, when all those guys are like, oh, they can't do it. There's no way they're going to get it. Oh, well, guess what they did? Like you, you can like kind of finagle this stuff if you're, if you're diligent enough about it as a front office. And so the way I look at it as all of this is smoke and mirrors to cover for yet another example of penny pinching from the the Lakers recently. And again, this to me, this specific instance is absolutely insane because again, we're not talking about a $30 million commitment like it would cost to retain Alex Caruso. We are literally talking about, I'm pretty sure for his years of service and for him being this far into the season and for it being prorated, for a veteran minimum deal to guarantee Stanley Johnson to come back, I'm pretty sure it's a very small number. I'm, and I think it's under a million. So even with luxury tax, even with, uh, you know, factoring in an extra couple of days to, to bring him back, I think this is just to, to literally get a guy out to willingly subject yourself to another starting lineup, uh, a flip over to another, 
uh, day where one of your important swing men is missing practice and missing a game. To, uh, this is just, I, I think it's unacceptable personally. And I understand some people disagree with me and, and look, man, like, like I, I, I appreciate your perspective and I'm not saying you're wrong necessarily. I'm just saying I, I, I struggle to see that rationale. No, you're, no, you're right in like a vacuum, like in a right world, Stanley Johnson would be on the team. Uh, but you know, and you're gonna you're gonna hate me for this one as well. You can call BS on this one as well. But I believe you know Eric Pink has kind of uh, talked about the DeAndre Jordan situation as well. He said uh, there's no need to cut him when you can kind of use him for salary filler. It's not much salary, but use him for salary filler in the trade. And again, if that time comes where you can, then you can cut him later. And again, it looks like it's going that direction, right? DeAndre Jordan has not played. We're going to no center plus or one center lineups, and he's been so far out the rotation uh, for this long. It looks like that's where it go- where it's going uh it's funny because you keep you bring up the caruso stuff to me that is the more unacceptable thing i don't care the luxury tax you know savings and stuff like that ask caruso you you sign him and you trade him later if you have to or you do what you know you know what i mean you don't let a guy that you built up and i've gone into caruso too much i'm not gonna rant again on caruso to me that's more of a uh, uh, uh an offense than this but yeah man uh, it looks like stanley johnson is going to get signed though back with the team so this looks like it will go go you know the, the process will work out even if it isn't great process but you're entitled to that opinion man I, it, 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 you know i'm not in the you know office i don't know the inner workings the exact situation but uh, i believe that's eventually what's going to happen though stanley johnson will be back on another 10 day hopefully he gets re-signed uh, again you would like him to have the roster spot now but it looks like they're going to keep it open uh for now so we'll see how it goes uh but yeah i I don't know. I can't change your mind on that. I'm just going by what, you know, people who kind of who talk about this, what they kind of believe. Uh, but you're allowed to believe that it's, it's for savings as well. well but we'll see uh, if Stanley Johnson doesn't make, you know, if doesn't if he doesn't pass the second 10 day, we can come back and have this conversation again. Uh, but uh, but hopefully he does for sure. No, I, I get I get the idea of retaining him for salary ballast. My point is, is like you could cut him if you needed to. So if yeah. you're in the if you're in the trade market and your trade dictates that you need salary filler, Bam, there's DeAndre Jordan. If And guess what? There's Stanley Johnson. If you have no room for him on the wing and maybe if the team is like, hey, I want him in the deal, then bang, there you go. There's an asset, right? Or if you're in a situation where you're making a trade and you need roster spots, like let's say it's break glass in case of emergency and we're trading Russell Westbrook and we're bringing back a $20 million guy, a $10 oh, million dollar guy, and a $20 million guy or whatever, then yeah, we would need to cut somebody. But you have, you have that permanent flexibility. Like what I disagreed with was like, Okay, we're we're not signing Stanley Johnson yet because we we might need this open roster spot. No, no, no. If you actually needed an open roster spot in a predicament, you can literally create one in in a moment's notice. So that that's where I I, I disagree. I see with what it. you're but, saying. But yeah, but like regardless, no matter what, like I just don't like playing with fate on this kind of the stuff uh, on this kind of stuff, right? Because if Me you either. look at this, if you look at this Laker predicament, like part of what happened this summer is we traded a lot of depth for Russell Westbrook, right? Now, what has happened by the grace of our scouting department and just some good luck, we've had some hits, right? Like Austin Reeves, bam, that fills in some of that depth that we lost, right? Like Malik Monk being a veteran minimum guy who, by the way, somehow no one in the league offered a contract, like what in the world? (laughs) But But like Malik Monk materializing and then Stanley Johnson literally from your G league team to come up and be a very, very important basketball player for you over the last 10 days. Like you've come into a stroke of luck here. 
where now the only concerns about the rust thing are genuinely just fit, you know, like, is this going to work in the playoffs? But the depth thing really isn't a concern anymore. We have depth. We through Austin Reeves, through Malik Monk, through Stanley Johnson, we've recreated at least a significant portion of what Kuzma and KCP brought to the table, right? We have now, whether or not that one of those groups is better than the other, that can be argued by someone else. But my point is, is, you have somehow tripped and fallen into uh, getting some of the best of both worlds here if your desire was to have Russ. So why would you play with that by by playing this game with Stanley Johnson over a couple hundred thousand bucks? Like that to me is is just foolishness. But it is what it is. That I, I That's all I had for tonight, Roz. Was there anything else you wanted to hit on before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think uh, that was pretty much it. I'm not sure if we did shout it out. I don't remember, but... Uh, Russell Westbrook, no turnovers tonight. I yes. think that's you know, I think that's great. Uh, I think we only had like five as a team. So again, we talked about the missed shots off the yard, but no turnovers. That's a positive here. Uh, and you know, the Kings play some pretty good perimeter defenders. Davion Mitchell, to me, oh, we didn't get to him either. He's he's special. I think he's going to be an awesome you know defender player in this league. But yeah, man, no turnovers for Russ. Hopefully that kind of keeps up. But yeah, that's all I had as well, man. Cool. Yeah, and, and, and look, Russ. Again, I'm glad he had no turnovers tonight. But let's. <laughs> I want to see him show a consistent commitment to that part of his game. I, I was, I did a little rant uh, for uh, on this for my Twitter page, but like, you know, the idea of Russ being Russ, there's a limitation to that on this team in his specific role. I actually think he needs to change in some ways. That doesn't mean, Hey, Russ, stop driving to the basket. No, that's not it at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying Russ, stop being aggressive. It's just Russ does need to change in the sense that he does need to devote more attention and effort towards cleaning up some of the margins of his game. Because when he was younger and more athletic, you know, he had the ability to overcome a lot more of his mistakes than he does now. So he actually does actually need to change. And, and so it's, it's not a matter of, uh, of, you know, trying to get out of Russ's way and let Russ be Russ. It's about Russ does have to try to fit in a little bit more, I think. Um, um, but that said, like, yes, tonight, big positive step. It's not easy to get zero turnovers a game, especially with Davion Mitchell's up in your airspace all night long. Yep. And I think it was his first zero turn. I read some, uh, let me see if I can go to the tweet. First turn, first zero turnover game since March 14, 2016. Wow. Which, which is, you know, quite a, quite a while. So this is good to see. We probably, most players don't get no turnovers with the ball handling that Russ has. Obviously, he gets more than most players. But, yeah, it's a good good thing to kind of celebrate. Hopefully, it's something we get uh, going forward as well. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out. This is going to air on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we'll be on our podcast feed here in about 20 minutes or so. Thank you guys, as always, for your support and for rocking with Raj and I. I'm excited to see what we got for the rest of the season. I believe we play again on Friday night, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken at eight, I think. Yeah. Um, so we will see you guys for the post game show then. Appreciate it, everyone. Thanks.